Hey, I want to thank the Vision KC 2019 leadership. They pulled a top panel together to discuss preparing your shop for tomorrow's technician, how to attract and retain your team. This panel of five of your industry colleagues brought their A-game to this discussion here in episode 416. A lot of this is an expansion and a contraction. So just remember, when you're in an expansion period and there just aren't enough techs for the bays, then you really got to take care of the ones you got. And then when they come knocking... Don't slam the door in their face. Welcome, aftermarketers, to Remarkable Results Radio. Listen to learn just one thing from today's episode on your journey to remarkable results. Hey, Carm Capriato here, and welcome to episode 416 of the Remarkable Results Radio podcast, where we talk the business of the aftermarket. I was honored to moderate this power panel at Vision KC 2019, and it was brought to you by the Midwest Auto Care Alliance. I can't wait to see the cool new products and technologies that are going to be at Apex this year. In fact, it's the number one reason shop owners attend. Hey, be there November 5th through the 7th this year, 2019, at the Sands Expo in Las Vegas. Now, for more information, visit aapexshow.com. This panel tackles this tough subject that we need to face head on. With me is Tyler Hubbard from I-70 Auto Service, Aaron Stokes from Eurofix and ShopFix Academy, Chris Chesney, Senior Director, Customer Training at CarQuest Technical Institute, and Brian Bates, Eagle Automotive Service, along with Greg Buckley from Buckley's Personalized Auto Care. We know as a united industry that retaining and attracting talent into our base is our number one concern. Sure, keeping pace with technology advancements is up there, but if you don't have the talent inside your shop to repair our high-tech cars, no degree of high-tech equipment will matter. You'll hear discussion on why our industry needs to stop eating our young, setting career paths for your technicians, why orientation and not onboarding is the way to integrate new technicians into your business. We talk buying tools for our technicians and building the right culture and operating principles and so much more. We even had time at the end for Q&A from our audience. Now, keep in mind that you may also need to listen over a few time chunks to get the entire reward of this episode. Now, this may be a great reason to stay on the treadmill just a little bit longer. Hey, thanks for being here as we bring you the best long-form audio interviews as we talk the business of the automotive aftermarket. And thanks to the Midwest Auto Care Alliance for sharing this recording for all aftermarketers. So preparing your shop for tomorrow's technician, how to attract and retain your team. Aaron, are we eating our young? Yeah, we are. We're having a barbecue in the backyard. Um, uh, I'm, I'm real passionate about the young people that work for us that screw up and blow motors and don't check the dick stick. Check the dick stick. That did not come out right. Check the dick stick. I'm going to erase that from all of your memories. It never happened. It's, it hasn't happened. Five second delay. Five second delay. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm very passionate about the young people that um, are forgotten. They screw up. They break something. And we go, man, I did the same thing. I just did it on my car or my uncle's car or in my driveway. And I wasn't there to have anybody looking over my shoulder and make me feel nervous. And we take a lot of the kids that have passion and we run them off. We won't even invest the money. We won't convert them over to a compensation type plan that's going to pay them based on their worth, whether it be flat rate or a bonus tiered system because, well, we do and they don't really deliver. They're just very expensive. So we keep them as GSs. And then when they break stuff, it's expensive. 
we get mad. Then we don't practice discipline in our life. We throw a temper tantrum. When we throw a temper tantrum, we throw crap and we cuss and we yell. And then that car gets drugged down the side of another ballard coming out of our garage door the next day because we made the kids so nervous. And that car has to go to the body shop. And those, those young people that are screwing up, that are just young, dumb versions of us, we were probably dumber than them. Those kids are our future. And we've got to realize that we have to write that check. And the shops in the room that are hungry for technicians, most of the time don't have a lot of young people in your building. And one of the reasons is because you've not been writing that check. And it's not going to happen overnight. But there's a lot of kids. I would argue the fact that I think there are just as many, if not more, kids interested in our industry. I just see a lot more impatient owners, usually because of a lack of profit, immediately getting ticked off and firing somebody and sending them out the door. So I just want to implore everybody to be patient. Understand that these kids are your future. They're your harvest. Um, and you will reap what you sow. So make sure that you focus in on being a great place to grow young talent that's forgiving, that understands mistakes are going to happen. Thanks, Good? Aaron. Technicians in the room, have you ever broken anything? Raise your hand. That's 100%. Great message. Thank you so much. Chris Chesney, what's the difference between orientation and onboarding? Well, to, to Aaron's point that uh, we tend to take a young technician in and we don't set standards of performance or expectations with respect to what we expect out of them, how we operate our business. Orientation is the bathroom's there, there's your bay, there's where you go get a ticket, good luck. And that's what 99% of us do in this industry. Onboarding is spending the time and investing the money to make sure they understand every step of your process, what's expected of them, establish a career path for them so that they don't sit, end up six months into the job wondering, is this it? This isn't quite what I expected this industry to be. And start paying attention to the other verticals that are looking for technology-minded kids to go hire them to pay them $40 an hour to ride an elevator to the top of a windmill in western Kansas to change the oil in a turbine and give them a 401k plan, a full health benefit plan, and three weeks vacation right off the bat. You, what we need to do is realize as an industry that we're fighting against not ourselves and not the OEM dealer, but the rest of, of industry that's after our same kids. So as we onboard people, and we onboard these young people, describe and develop a career path for them. The, the, is Dwayne Myers in the room? Dwayne, I see Dwayne, okay. So I called Dwayne out because Dwayne does something that I admire uh, and, and since I met him, he described what he does. And that is he promotes people from within to expand his operation to open additional stores. And he does that in a way that's meaningful to the, to the people that he hires because he sets those standards when they come on board and they know what to expect by being loyal to Dwayne and, and performing at the level that he wants them to, for, to perform at and his company is growing as a result. So onboarding is not orientation or orientation is not onboarding. Thanks, Chris. Uh, Chris pointed out Dwayne Myers in the group if you really want to hear how Dwayne does this development, again, on the podcast, just go to, go to the search bar, type in Dwayne Myers and listen. And uh, we always we appreciate him coming on and telling his story. You know, what 
Chris was just talking about Greg, about you know the different trades looking for our people. Got an opinion on that? Yeah, um, yeah certainly. In fact, it was, it was ironic that this comes up today. But yesterday, I was in my room. I, I get a message from my sister, and a friend of mine has a, a very good, uh, great mechanical contractor. Uh, big family, Delaware. We're friends. Calls me up and says, "I just lost my tech." He's asking me, do I have anybody that I know that can come and work for him? And I said, not really. I said, it's funny that you ask. I said, I'm here today uh, because of just that one thing of having no talent, you know, the lack of talent that's out there. Um, there are so many people fighting for young talent today. And I say talent, it doesn't have to be a, a technician. They're grooming them, the, they're grooming the talent as needed through their own systems, whether it be a mechanical contractor, general construction, your plumbers, your HVAC uh, units and, and companies. Uh, everywhere you see, um, there just really isn't enough talent out there. And we're faced with uh, low unemployment, meaning everybody is working. We have to pick and choose wisely because of our technical level, and yet the skill isn't there. So what Aaron was saying at the beginning of grooming them, building them on the inside, taking your technician, and, and investing in them. I mean, yeah, they're going to screw up. And I try to give them a very long leash, understanding that, look, a mistake is going to be made, but here's how we're going to try and, one, not have it happen, but definitely not have it happen again. So that's, we're, we're in for, everybody, just not us here, we're in for a heck of a fight on, on reaching these kids. And I personally feel that we don't work, we don't work to grab their attention young enough. I had a great conversation with a young man two nights ago, and I think he works for John Bridgewater. John, are you here, are you here in the room? Okay, he might not be. But his technician worked from, he came out of social services. And I had experience about two years ago, starting to go to social social service meetings. What I learned was that by the age of nine, most kids are already patterned, developed, and set in their ways from, now, from one way or another. So how hard do you think it's going to be to actually make corrections in not just the talent side and the technical side, but the life of that young man or young woman? These are, the, these are the, the social problems that I feel that will inhibit us if we don't learn to work younger. Like, you know, you know there's so many examples. It starts I've, in middle school, Greg. It starts in middle school at the age of six to nine. And I don't know what we need to do, what kind of ideas we can come up with, go back to having, you know, uh, tinker toys or build models, you know, whatever it is to get their kids, to get the kids to become familiar with us or just get uh, tactical skills you know so there's that's that's my concern is that and and it goes for everybody it goes just not our our trade our profession but all the others you know kids are born today by two by one one and a half they've got a digital something device in their hand now that's a long time to play with technology that doesn't get you from point A to point B so that's where the attraction is. So, I mean, how we do it, I don't know. That's why we're all here today is trying to figure it out. Go back and think about it, what you can do. Thank you so much. He brought up uh, John Bridgewater as an example and said he was talking to his tech. 
And vision is becoming a phenom, in my opinion, as to how many shops are closed and they're taking the trek here to Kansas City. So I have a question for everyone. If you're a shop owner, put your hand up. If you're a technician here with your shop owner, keep your hands up. Put your hands up. I want to see how many shop owners and how many technicians are here with their owner. Wow, that's a heck of a number. Sherry, I think that's got to be way more than last year. And it is becoming a testament to you that you care to provide that. You know, if there's 40 hours a year, you're getting it here. And then you're going back and you're implementing at your shop. And how many people that I've interviewed have said, you know, I never thought that I could close it, leave, come back. The team makes up the number. They make the number up within two weeks. And I, and I was worried about we were going to lose revenue and it never really happened. Tyler, do you have a mentoring program? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it goes in line with what's already been spoken. Um, setting up career paths, setting up a culture in your shop. Um, like Aaron said, not, not eating your young. Um, you got to get these kids in young. You got to show them the industry, show them the benefits of the industry. This is a great industry to be involved in. There's a lot of things that are good about this industry, and I think we need to promote that. Um, and when you get these kids in young, you have to give them a long leash. You can't eat them. You got to get your team bought into that um, to show them that, hey, there is a career path. When you do make a mistake, we are going to show you how to do it correctly. We're not going to come down on you. Um, and it's, for me, the biggest thing about mentoring a tech in your, in your shop is the culture and setting it up in a way that we're all here to succeed. We're all on the same page. We want you to succeed. We don't want to bring you in and, hey, you got to sweep the floors. you got to throw the trash. No young kids want to do that. I didn't want to do that. What I wanted is a career path and a way to succeed in my life, and we have to show them that. And we have to understand that, yeah, bringing a guy in and, Hey, throw the trash, sweep the floors, clean the bathroom. That's that's not the. It's not what we live in. That's not what these young kids want to see. They want to see a way to succeed as in this industry. And there's a lot of different ways to do it. So we just have to make them aware of that. Thanks for that. And by the way, you brought the word culture up. The man to my right knows all about that. Um. So what's your question, Carl? <laughs> I love that. That was so good. I never get questions asked me. This is really interesting. I'm only kidding. How important is culture in a business, Brian? Well, I mean, really, it is everything, right? And as we, um, as we grow our businesses and we want people to operate and we want people to do things the way we want to do it, um, that's really what that culture is defined by. And you start off with a vision, a purpose. Everybody's got to have their compass aligned to, to the same um, point. And then looking at the values that you run your company by operational principles. So what we've, uh, what we've really worked hard on in the last couple of years is just getting that defined. And, and it's amazing how a lot of the standard operating procedures and everything go away because people actually know how to make a decision towards a common goal. So part of our culture is a leadership culture. And one of the things that uh, I really like about an apprenticeship program is that I, I retain my, my master technicians through the apprenticeship program because you're not just investing in, in the youngster. You're investing in the guy that's running your shop and in his training and development too because 
Mastering a skill is see, say, do, and teach. And so a lot of our master technicians have not gotten to the teach point. And so when you sit down a master technician and say, hey, I want to bring in a, I want to bring in a youngster and I want you to mentor him, and let me tell you what's in it for you. It's not just the extra money that you're going to make and it's not the headaches that you're going to have fun with. It's not the tools that you're going to find laying all over the shop. That's, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about developing you as a leader and most of our master technicians, um, this is the other part of that, when you're looking and you're interviewing for a master technician, these guys, whether they say it or not, a lot of these guys that have been doing it for 15, 20 years, they, they want to move into a leadership role in the entire shop. And most, if you worked on cars and now own a shop, raise your hand. Who is a former technician? So... Anybody that says that master or that technicians aren't a good transition to a store manager, I mean, we're living proof that, that it is a good transition. And so what we do a lot of times is we want to promote our, our service advisors into that role because they're already there in the front office. But really, training leadership and the emotional competency becomes very important. And then moving those guys into a management role on the, uh, on the shop itself. So... So the whole career path and progression, it all, it all stems um, from the same thing. And, and there is a, a kind of a dovetail that everybody benefits from having that at every single level. And that's, uh, that's something that, that we've discovered. But I think that a lot of master technicians, when you're interviewing, because we're not just talking on this panel about bringing young people in. We're talking about how do we bring young interns in, turn them into apprentices, get them into being interns to begin with, turning them into apprentices, getting them onto the line, and then making master technicians. And then the master technicians, they want to go somewhere too. And what, what does that look like? When we're interviewing for a master technician job, if we have an opening that we can't promote from within, we're talking to the master technicians and we're saying, hey, where, where do you want to go? And I'm looking for the guys that want to go above and beyond being a master technician because they're going to give you their heart and soul if you help develop them from their position where they are right now into being where they want to go. And I think that there's a lot of, ma a lot of master, I keep saying master technicians, but the guys that are really mature, they're nervous to say, hey, I want to be a manager. I want to own my own shop or, or something of that nature because I think there's a lot of shop owners that have the mentality or there's, you know, they've run into dealership people that have the mentality of, hey, look, we're looking to hire technicians, not managers. And what I tell my guys is, uh, look, I need a technician that can do the work, but what I'm looking for is a leader. And I want somebody who's going to come in and lead my shop and be a leader. And I tell that to the apprentices and the interns too because we are looking for those leaders and people that want to grow, and those are the kind of people that I want on board. And so once they hear that and they hear that you're wanting to help them grow and develop and move to the next phase, then all of a sudden those master technicians start looking at that interview and they say, you know, you're saying stuff that nobody else is saying, and then if you have everything else that they're looking for, then you've definitely got something that um, puts you above and beyond the tech or above and beyond the, uh, the competition out there looking. I'd like to add to that. I think, Brian, you, you describe exactly what I think this industry needs to start doing, and that's establishing a culture of mentorship for life. And it's, it's not establishing an apprentice program where you find a mentor and you're trying to grow a tech into a different level. It's a culture of always being an apprentice to somebody that you want to aspire to, to be like, 
or to have those skills and always being a mentor to somebody that wants to be in your position. And, and so if you think about it from that perspective, that changes, that adds to your culture and it builds that, that uh, environment where technicians, you don't have to advertise, technicians talk to each other and they find out that these guys have a, a culture that I want to be a part of because I'm not always going to be that, that guy that's, you know, down here doing oil changes or I'm not always going to be the master tech that gets all the hard work and is struggling and beating my head uh, about, you know, hard diagnostics uh, situations. There's a path and if that culture of mentorship starts with the owner and that's why Brian's so successful because you, you are a mentor to your entire team. With more than 2,500 exhibiting companies from around the world, Apex is my favorite place to see, touch, and compare new products. It's also the place to meet your existing suppliers and develop new partnerships. Even though it's big, the Apex trade show is well-organized and easy to navigate. Just plan to have an agenda and wear comfy shoes, as there are so many cool products, technologies, and product demos, and people to see in a very short period of time. And while you're there, you'll also want to participate in the excellent training offered at Apex. It's a busy three days, but well worth your time and investment. Mark your calendar now to attend Apex 2019. It's November 5th through 7th at the Sands Expo in Las Vegas. To learn more, visit aapexshow.com. It's a testament for the hands that went up just a little bit ago when Brian asked if uh, you were, you know, you were attacking, you became a manager. Our industry is huge, $394 billion. The opportunities that exist are way up there. And there are so many shop owners today that are growing great businesses, that are adding branches. I, I think we're, we may be in the golden age of what we're about to become when you add the technology and the kind of business management training that we're getting as an industry. Again, reason, vision. Hey, Aaron, part of what Brian was talking about, uh, I kind of think it may be up your alley when it comes to the foreman model. I love what you said there about giving guys an avenue. A lot of technicians, sadly, because of our culture, they think that uh, a technician's not an honorable trade, right? And that their buddy that has a college degree and 50K in student loan debt and makes 80 grand a year, even though they make 100, is somehow seen as elevated to them. I think we'd all agree that that's the grease monkey mentality that is out there, which is sad. They're tradesmen, they're, they're craftsmen, and they do something that's amazing. They get people to funerals, they get people to the hospital to watch a baby be born, people to graduations, and we don't realize how important the technicians are out there. But technicians, I think, are incredibly special because technicians, they want to do more, and we don't always provide them away, and they still jump into our field. That's what's nuts. Despite not doing what you say, some of them still say yes. And it's part of ourselves. And uh, so we're either good salesmen or they're just, you know, they're hopeful. But at the end of the day, when a technician comes in, I I'm not one of those guys that I just don't buy that being a technician is hard on your body. I'm just I'm sorry I don't because I've got grandparents who are farmers that worked way harder than I did as a technician. I've watched what they've done. What is hard on a technician's body is the habits that come with being a technician. And I was joking in the other class next door, but eating cheeseburgers every day. And smoking every day, because that's everybody at the shop does. And drinking every evening, because that's everybody at the shop does. There, are, there is a culture that I hope that we can all shift that keeps technicians young. I've got technicians that are in their 60s 
that still look really young and still turn over 200 hours a month. And they've told me, if I was not so active, I know that I would be in worse health. And so I hope that we start to bring more honor to the trade of a technician and then say, if you want to continue to be a tech, I need you, instead of growing in your ability to turn hours, grow in your ability to think and become a foreman. Do the heaviest diagnostics so that someday when you can't do what you want, you know, once were able to do, lifting a cylinder head and putting it onto a diesel truck, you can still use your brain and figure out something that none of us can. And we will pay you handsomely for it and then teach the younger people. And if that's not your game and you want to go up to the front counter and learn a new skill, we'll work it out there. But give them a way to get away from the physical labor, but yet still keeping them in it, but still giving honor to it. Because if we're not careful, we ourselves, by saying, oh, you don't want to keep being a technician forever, we ourselves are making that trade sound bad. There's nothing wrong with being a mechanic till the day you die. And a lot of us grew up and became mechanics because we were, we were in a home where we weren't appreciated. We were looking for somebody to tell us a good job. And there was some lawnmower out back that wouldn't start. And we went out there and we figured it out. And somebody told us, oh, great job. And you're like, that felt good. Then you did it again and again. And before you know it, you worked on your buddy's cars. And one day you became a mechanic. And you chased it because of the feeling. And it was safe. And there was nobody who was going to yell at you. And it was just you and a car. And we don't realize that our industry is full of hurting young people that come there to hide, to come there to get somebody to tell them they're going to do a good job. And if we can see that and still somehow give honor to that position, while also offering up a diagnostic foreman type job, even sales, even management up front, but still give honor to it, I think we're going to see a huge attraction for this position. Because if we don't be careful, we're going to shoo them away by us ourselves talking bad about unscrewing a bolt. And we shouldn't. I don't know if that makes sense. Amen. Amen. Excellent. Thank you so much. Chris, kind of tying up with, uh, with what Aaron said, talk to us about and brainstorm about an advancement process. Well, I think that at the end of the day, it, it goes back to what we started off with when Aaron talked about, you know, creating that path. And, and you have to design that. You can't just, you can't just do it off the cuff. Uh, you have to have it done with meaning. Uh, it has to be meaningful for everybody involved. It has to be meaningful for your business. Uh, but recognition is important to young kids today. Um, and Aaron just pointed that out. But, you know, we all got that dopamine hit when we got told, man, great job. And it's, it's I don't know if any of you are, are uh, aware of or fans of Simon Sinek. I'm a, I'm a Simon Sinek junkie. Uh, I discovered him two and a half years ago, and he changed my world when I read his book, you know, Find the Why. Uh, and our young kids today have a why. Many of us think that, oh, the millennials, they just want to sit around and, and live in their parents' basements. That's not true at all. Uh, what needs to change is us. And, and we need to provide that vision and that, that path through recognition, through advancement, uh, through a position where Aaron hits it on the head, being a technician is honorable. Our industry, I hear it all the time as I travel, I don't want my kid to go into this industry, I hate it. That's what's killing us. And if there's anybody in this room that has that thought or that attitude, come see me, we'll fix that. Because it's killing our industry. You have to have pride in what you do because we serve the motoring public 
in a way that nobody else can. And there's there should be honor and pride in that. And the other thing I'll add to that to that uh, idea of uh, of achievement and and career pathing is Aaron used a, a term on the call the other day, and I want to make sure that we don't miss it. Uh, I'm driving down the road on I-70 about 80 mile an hour, and it hit me square in the face. We need to we need to provide grace to these kids. And, and that is, and he started out, you know, forgiving them for making the mistakes. We have to provide grace in our businesses uh, to make sure that we're establishing a, a business and a culture that is honorable to our consumer or our customer. Because at the end of the day, this whole thing that goes on that Jerry put together 27 years ago, 28 years ago, that's when you, that's when I had hair. Um, at that point in time, it was very, very honorable to be in this business. Today, that has declined, and it's sad to, to hear people uh, talk bad about their industry. And it's only because they don't have a they don't have a vision for where they'll be in five years, let alone two years. And I think we're going to a really good place, and I want it to sink in. So, Greg, we need a new religion, don't we? We talk about new religion. Well, Aaron opened it up and Chris followed through on a couple of things. It really comes down to what you think as owners, what you think your business model is going to be and where can it go and what are, what's going to be expected of us. We as owners can't stay stagnant if we wish to grow a team underneath of us in order for us to move forward like Aaron does and like, uh, God, I'm sorry. <laughs> Brian, <laughs> brain, yeah. <laughs> right, I, I worry about time zones, don't I? Right, I gotta worry about names. You know, in my travels and, and what I've been attempting to do, I've been fortunate to work with other professions, medical community, child safety. And with the advent of technology coming down to us, like, I just left an AI class uh, downstairs before coming to here. Augmented reality we got coming. We got virtual reality. We have all of these technologies coming in. And our professional, uh, other professionals, especially in the health and wellness communities, are starting to realize that, hey, we can offer them things and data that goes, that goes well with what they're doing. And it's all about the health of the human. So we have a huge change coming at us with a lot, a lot of opportunities. So the tech full of tables, table down there of techs, I should say, I think it would be fair to ask, what did you get into the profession for? Where do you see coming down the pike? Is it simply keeping your head under the hood? Or is it something more expansive where you say, hey, my skill set can provide value to this group of people. It can help the client stay healthier. It's, I know this is, you know, I, and I look at things at pretty much a pretty high level, but I'm telling you that we're going to be tasked, or I should say, the opportunities are going to be there to expand in different directions. And that's why I say like a new religion. These guys bring it home. I'm saying that if we get our act together and we produce the cultures and the processes and the systems and we have all of that together, then we are the ones that will be dependent upon, you know, these people who other professions will need us. So there's a great opportunity. I think we need to change a little bit. And as far as education, another thing that I just wanted to bring out real quick is, you know, for a learning environment, 
I kind of looked around at all the boards, the major boards of all of our organizations. And I don't see anybody from the education side, from academia on our boards, from the local, uh, our local chapters to our major you know, national organizations. There's no one from academia on there. Do you think that it would be possible to bring, uh, as a board member, someone from academia who could help guide us into the educational process? Is in about, well, about 10 years, there's going to be 4,000 less colleges operating due to bankruptcy. That's a, that's a prediction, you know, and all of this talent and education and all this is going to come downstream. So it's just something to throw out there. I, I mean, I, I look at it like we need to be well-rounded. We need to have Sherpas at every level and to guide, help guide us through these next phases of what technology is going to help us, you know, produce. It's a really great point. And one of the things I'd like to bring up, hooking that education piece, raise your hand if you sit on an advisory panel, either high school or post-secondary college. That's great. And uh, I did this same, I asked the same question in Raleigh last year. Remember, Chris? And we had a lot of hands go up. The ones that didn't put up your hands, if we're going to make changes to our industry and get education involved, you have to get involved. In our area, it is dominated by the dealerships. And if the independents are going to have a voice, you've got to be there. Please, please invest in that. Tyler, in keeping with the idea of retention, give us some of your ideas. I think we need to make um, our companies exciting to work at, and we have to have benefits for these people, and we have to make them want to be a part of our company and make it exciting for them. Um, you know, things that we do as far as healthcare and 401k and that stuff, that's, that's stuff that should be done across the board. That's, that's the basics. You know, we get into things like a common one for us is my feet hurt. Boots are expensive. We supply, we supply money for boots every year for each one of my, our guys. We do Costco cards. We do a lot of unique things at our shops to make it favorable for them to work there, um, to make this, our shop exciting to work at. Like I said, the healthcare and the 401k, everybody should be doing that. If you're investing in your company and you're investing in your employees, that should be the basics. But you really need to look at ways to expand that. Um, and like I said, get into boots, get into Costco cards, get into things that they, benefits that they want and they need, and then see if you can work that into your budget. Most of the time you can. Most of the time it's pretty simple stuff. I mean, $100 a guy for boots each year, boots are expensive. Guys' feet hurt. It's, it's a pretty easy one to do. So you need to get with your team and see what they need, what their needs are, and what works with you. And a lot of times it's, it's not an expense, a real big expense to the company. Brian, you, you shared a great piece with us a few minutes ago on culture. Do you have anything you could share about career pathing as you grow your business? We, we kind of looked at this whole idea of career pathing and how do we hold on and really help be, you know, be a servant leader company, not just a shop, but the company and, uh, and be servants to not only our customers, um, but also to our team members. So I'm actually in a group with uh, Dwayne Myers and I asked Dwayne because I'd, I'd overheard him talking about this whole idea of a goal sheet. And I said, well, tell me what you do. And Dwayne said, Hey, look, 
we just we ask them to write down their goals and then we um, we visit them and then we help them with their goals and and it can be any goal that you want to do it it can be um, something personal something professional something uh, involved with the community something you know family wise that sort of thing so um, so I, I stole the thing from Dwayne and, and uh, put my eagle head on it, and so it's mine now. And so um, one of the great things about being in a group is I can look up and see the guys that are taking the stuff, and I say, hey, he stole the thing that I stole. And uh, so we, we brought it into our shop, and, and uh, we decided that we were kind of done with doing traditional reviews. Um, the traditional review is let's look at your numbers, let's do this, let's do that. We're, we've made a commitment that we're going to do quarterly goals reviews, and it's going to be a qualitative review. Um, I, I know it's, um, it's, it's kind of a cliche, and it may, you know, I wouldn't say it in front of my guys, but we give our guys a review every two weeks. You know, it shows up in their paycheck, and they know how well they've done. They know how well they've performed. They know what challenges they've had. And so we do talk about that in our weekly meetings, and, and they're more co- coaching uh, sessions and collaboration sessions. But I really don't see a need to go through and do a review um, on a traditional basis. So we're really looking at their goals, where they want to be, and then reviewing them and and making them um, or holding them accountable for making a commitment to to achieving their goals. And I think that's one of the most noble things we can do as business owners is to help somebody achieve what they want to achieve in life. And uh, and they they give you a hundred percent when when they know that I'm not working here just to make the guy in the office rich. But they, they look at it and they say, hey, I'm working here to make this company stronger. And then that company's investing back into me to help me achieve my goals so that I can become stronger. And then, of course, then, it, then the cycle begins again. As I'm stronger, then the company becomes stronger. And then the company can invest in me. Then, uh, then they give you 100%. And, and it's not something that they get everywhere. I mean, when you, when you talk to your peers or you interview people that are coming in and you ask them, why are you looking for a change? What are you doing? Tell me, tell me your story. Um, you don't hear people saying, I'm looking for a change because I'm tired of this guy bugging me to achieve things in life. I'm tired of him coming in and investing in me all the time. I just want to be left alone. I mean, they're, they're, they're saying the exact opposite. And so they're looking for a place that has a career path that is invested in them as a, as a technician, as a team, and as, you know, really a, a partner in, in achieving what we want to achieve. Does that answer your question? I don't know if I got off or not. Wonderful. The key to coming to panels and listening to these different perspectives is to take away an idea or two or to affirm or clarify something that you're currently doing. And so please, if something inspires you from the things we're talking about today, please implement it because that's the key. You can have this greatest idea in the world and if you don't implement, you really haven't done anything. By the way, I just want to let you know that a great business strategy is steal shamelessly. And you did that from Duane. And, you know, it was Frank Scandura one day who told me, Carm, I live on the world and the concepts of R&D. And I said, oh, cool, really? Research and development? He goes, no, rip off and duplicate. And so there isn't anything that, any, that anyone here has said that you cannot be inspired by. Please, that's the reason we do these. We're going to get ready to take a few questions, but Aaron, I want to give you, say, the final uh, topic here. Should we stop labeling millennials? Uh, yeah, we should stop labeling millennials. I mean, who here, when you hear the word millennial, thinks of something positive? Our millennials do. We think they're lazy. We think they don't do a good job. We think we don't, they don't show up to work. Um, I, I will tell you that my uh, perspective or my experience has been the opposite. 
I've, mine have been great. Maybe I'm lucky. I don't know. But um, I will say speed of the leader, speed of the pack. So look in the mirror when you go back home. And those millennials are, you know, it's monkey see, monkey do. And if you show up and you misbehave and you're the number one drama queen in your shop, what are they going to be, right? So when we get back to our shops, let's, let's think about who's watching us. Let's think about what we're doing. And let's remember that those millennials, they don't want to be called millennials just like you didn't want to be called a Gen Xer. Just like you didn't want to be called whatever label you are if you're older than that. I'm sorry. Just say, young man, young woman, I wish I had your youth. I wish I could go back in time. You know, whatever you want to say. But don't call them something that currently right now has a negative connotation. Just, just wipe it out of your memory. And just when you hang out with them, just be like, man, I love your energy. I love your youth. I love your vibrance. I love how excited you are about life. And let them make you feel younger. Because that's what we need. We're, you know, we get old. We get tired. So, guys, stay positive, stay focused. I think the biggest takeaway um, that several people here mentioned were that th the economy is on fire. There's Everybody needs people. Even the hamburger flippers are saying, there's no hamburger flippers. What are you going to do? There's no anybody. So you got to be growing. It'll change when it slows down and all of a sudden new car dealers aren't selling cars and techs aren't needed to do PDIs and everything else. Guess where all these techs are going to go looking for a job? And then none of us will be talking about the technician shortage. A lot of this is an expansion and a contraction. So just remember, when you're in an expansion period and there just aren't enough techs for the bays, then you really got to take care of the ones you got. And then when they come knocking, don't slam the door in their face because the opportunity will circle back around. So it's been great. Thank you, Carm, and thanks for juggling the mic. Who has a question or two for this great panel? First off, thank you guys. It's a great panel so far. I took a lot of things back and I raised my hand when you asked that question. Uh, yeah. yeah, I wasn't listening quite well. No, I, I have taken a lot, so I don't want you guys to think I haven't. Uh, and for you, Carmen, the one thing, you know, so far that I've taken away, there's many things, but that one thing is from Chris, that culture of a mentorship for life. So with that, anyway, you know, it was called how to attract and retain your team. Any of you guys share one secret that you use within your own shop to retain. Kind of interested in one of those aha, maybe something really cool. I mean, I think I think for me, it's been touched on many times up here. Is you want to know your guys' goals and you want to help them succeed in life. You're not there just to turn them and burn them, and you're done being a tech. So I'm on to the next one. I I want my guys to succeed in life, and that's been mentioned numerous times up here in numerous different ways. And I think that's the best way to do it. You want to understand what they want out of life, what their goals are in life, and you want to help them get there. If they're successful, I'm successful. Um, it's that's the easiest way to do it for me. I mean, that's the one thing that I try to do. You know, I know Michael wants to own a Tesla. I know Shane wants to retire in Vermont. I know Derek wants to move to Kansas back home and have a farm. And I know Bobby wants to uh, move back to his wife's home country and open up a shop there. I am all about getting them to where they want to go. So. To that end, I'll share one with you that Dwayne and I'm sure Brian know uh, in a, another shop in, in Colorado, Brian Sump has a service manager, service advisor in a shop that that wanted, he had a goal. And, and to Tyler's point, he asked. I mean, that's impressive that he knows all those goals and they're at top of mind. So Brian asked what this service advisor wants. He wanted to own a 911. Well, it's an expensive vehicle. So Brian sat down, crushed the numbers, and he said, yeah, I can make that work. He went out and leased a 911, and that was part of his compensation package. 
So don't, and you look at that kind of crazy, but do you think that that manager, that service advisor is going to be loyal to Brian for a while? I mean, you met his goals, and that's exactly what they were talking about here. What a great idea. That, that's, a, that's a great loyalty thing. Thank you for that. Joe, where's Joe? Oh, Hey, Carl. Hey. We okay. are just about to start internships with a local trade school, and uh, just wondering what's the most proficient way to start an internship to really spark their interest. What should we show them? How should we really focus on introducing them in, from the classroom into the real world? So, um, so we have some interns uh, that we work with, and, and I think the key to that really is to have somebody who has a teacher's heart in your in your building. Um, whether that is just you know a, a line tech, a B tech, a C tech, um, just making sure that there is a mentor that's going to take a vested interest in them, and then um, really guide that mentor, and again you know tell them that that we're helping develop him as a mentor. Um, on, and that's a qualitative side. On the uh, technical side, for us, NAPA has a great internship uh, guideline. Um, the the um, ASC Education Foundation has kind of merged AS with, it was ASC something, but they merged together. And so they've got some great resources, and every state in the union has a representative that they can contact from ASC, and then they can start getting you connections, get you accredited, get the internship accredited. You want to make sure that, you know, it's safe. There's there's a ton of components that go into that, and the ASC uh, um, Education Foundation is a great resource for that. For the panel. Wait, wait one, one second. I don't know how many people know Jerry's the president of Milwaukee and had the seat of the great idea 27 years ago. And, of course, Chris, <laughs> thank you so much, Jerry. Chris is wearing Jerry's socks, so remember that. They just have my picture on them. Question for the panel. Uh, our industry appears to be the only one where a brand-new member of this industry has to provide $30,000 worth of tools to do his job. What are your opinions on providing tools, et cetera? Provide them. It's pretty easy. I mean, it's just, it's the way we're going to. I mean, you get these young kids in and you want to show them success, they have to have the, to the tools to succeed. Um, in my opinion, that's the, that's the shop's responsibility. And no, under, no other industry are these guys, like you said, walking in saying, hey, I need 30 grand to buy these tools in order for me to do the job. That's not right to me. It's the shop's responsibility to give these guys the tools to succeed. Um, and that's what we're doing at our shop. I don't think you walk into a factory anywhere in this in this country uh, and see the workers that work in that factory having to bring the machines to produce the products that they're producing. I was in a Bridgestone truck factory in Na Nashville, Tennessee, late last year. Walking through that factory, I'm watching them dump raw rubber into a machine that compressed it, and, and out came a ribbon, a wide ribbon of raw rubber. Imagine if that machine had to load itself. You know, you, you've got to, you got to provide your production department with the tools they need to produce the work that you're doing for your customer, that you're billing your customer for. We need to stop the, the tool issue uh, hard in its tracks and solve that quickly, and there's ways to do that. Uh, if you'll get with any of us, we'll, we'll share our opinions with you. It's kind of funny because the first thing I do is I tell the tool guys that do not go near to the new tech. Stay away. You know, and I, and I tell the tech, I said, do not go in the tool truck. I said, we'll handle what you need. 
We are we buy the equipment. They may buy their own small set of hand tools. It's what they like. But outside of that, we take care of all of the equipment. Uh, we have tool cages. We, we're we're set up, and through our BDG unit uh, uh, membership, um, we have a very healthy tool sharing program. So we we get together as Napa shop owners, about eight of us, I believe, and we buy the real heavy equipment, you know, the scan tools, and we keep all that up, and we share it amongst others. So it helps l lessen the load, and it definitely takes away from the techs having to buy their own stuff. Uh, I, I do think that we need to do, just like you said, and offer as many tools as we possibly can. The issue we fight is that we're a proud industry, and guys like to compare toolboxes, <laughs> and that's not going away anytime soon. So um, I think it's very important that you do what you can with the entry level, having a community toolbox in the shop, et cetera, especially the California shops that are here that are having to fight a lot of the labor laws there. You have to have one of those almost every time to do any type of commission plan. But I think that when you have those tools available so they can gear their way up, it's much like, I mean, let's be real, it's kind of like putting AC in a shop. You know, what's our local dealers doing? AC, they got their own remote control, it zips the door up and down, and a black toolbox that they provide, but they get to put their tools in. But if you also provide the tools in the black toolbox, I mean, how much work is it now to leave? So it's a great retention tool that me and a lot of my buddies have been talking about. But, yeah, it's going to take a giant movement to get that done because right now there is a tradition of paying for overpriced equipment through financing, and it's just an absolute parasite on our employees. And don't get me wrong, I appreciate what the tool companies do, but when you see the price that what this, some of these young men are paying for products that can be bought on the Internet for sometimes a tenth of what they are finding, you know, one payment, a 10 week payment, one payment would have bought it. It's just mind blowing and it's sad. And it's really a parasite on these young men and women that are in our shops. So something absolutely has to be done. I don't know that we can totally kill all of it, but we can certainly intervene probably 70% of it. I want to make a comment on what Aaron just said. Uh, we did a show on the new tax law and the accountants that were on said that the tax can no longer deduct the tool expenses that they have at work. So I, I, the owners, you need to listen to that. Techs, you need to pay attention to that. Um, so one of the things we did with the tool program um, or with the uh, mentorship and apprentice program at our shop is I approached the Mac tool guy um, and he just, you know, was a guy that, that's pretty loyal to our shop. And I just said, hey, look, we're trying to get this together. What do you think? What can you do to help? And they, uh, and he put together a package. He said, hey, well, we put together a package, and I said, "Tell me, see what you can do with this. And they got us 60% off of the tools um, that we were looking for. And so for about $8,000, we were able to put together a $20,000 um, tool and tool storage package. And then as part of our apprenticeship program, we uh, first of all, we start them off um, as shop helpers. And you get the best shop helper in the world for like three months because they're trying to get to the point of being an apprentice. And then, uh, then once they've proven that they can show up to work on time and, and they're cognizant and whatnot, then we uh, move them into a, a formal apprenticeship program. And then we say, after four years of being in this program and going through all the stuff that, um, that we have set as far as our criteria, then the tools are yours. So it kind of does a dual purpose. It keeps them out of being in a situation where they're making, you know, really low money. It's a double-edged sword. I'm making really low money. And I have a big tool bill until I get to be a master technician. So it keeps them out of that. And then also gives them a reason to avoid the guy that says, I'm going to pay you an extra 50 cents an hour and um, come work for me. And then, you know, young, young guys kind of tend to split over 50 cents an hour. So 
Thanks, Brian. Appreciate it. We have time for one more. And I know there were a couple of other hands. I know there's two hands out there. Uh, thanks, Carm. Thanks to the panel. This is a question for the panel itself. We've talked about uh, how difficult it is to find technicians and even more difficult to find qualified technicians. I have a shop in the state of Iowa, and we don't currently have any sort of licensing or permitting requirements for technicians. Do you feel that if every state adopted a requirement like that, that that would help or hurt our industry? Uh, no, I don't. Uh, licensing will do nothing to, to solve the problem. Uh, what we need to do is overhaul education so that we're spending more than two years educating our people so that they can deal with the technology that's in front of them rather than expect a two-year education to, to prepare somebody to do what we do. Uh, and so it's a, we need a better plan. We need career pathing. We need, uh, we need kids to have time in our industry and exposure to the technologies or the skills, uh, may it be sales or management or engineering or whatever it is. Uh, and, and in my mind, licensing, uh, especially at the state level, gets locked into the, po the, the political cycle and it becomes a, a revenue grab and it does nothing for our industry or more importantly, it does nothing for the motors. And at, at the end of the day, they're the one that pays all of our bills. So I would tell you that uh, there is a movement uh, that is starting to just barely roll within industry and within the uh, associations that uh, represent and certify our technicians to remodel that. It's, it hasn't even started yet. I can tell you, though, that those organizations are aware of the issue and they're willing to open up the kimono and let's take a look at what we should be doing from this point forward rather than doing it the way we've always done, which gets us nowhere. How'd they do? <laughs> that applause was for you guys. Tyler Hubbard, Chris Chesney, Greg Buckley, Aaron Stokes, Brian Bates. Thanks, enjoy the rest of Vision. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time.